hello and welcome to the greatest show in the galaxy. My name is Emma Hyam and joining me as always is the producer, the only producer of Atomic Trivia War 9000 and the editor of Starbase 66, Mr. Mike Mould. How are you today, sir? It's bloody hard work, you know, editing in Starbase. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we've got to shout you out for it every time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so today we are talking about our secret origins. Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about how we became fans mm. and our origin stories. So why don't you kick us off, Mike? Um, so when was the very first time you encountered Doctor Who? I've been thinking about it all day and it's it's kind of strange. I couldn't actually tell, like I couldn't give you like a specific day and time where I went, okay, now I'm a Doctor Who fan. But right. Obviously, we're we're pretty much the same age. I'm, I think I'm maybe a month older than you. Aren't, aren't you're, you're about you're about four weeks older than me, so yeah. we're both forty for reference out there. Yeah. So, so I think I've always sort of because Doctor Who was still around at the time. I always had like a sort of um, sense that it existed, but right. I was obviously a bit too young to actually watch it. But I do remember there was one time when I was maybe five or six, possibly. I couldn't quite put my finger on it because it's a very hazy memory but I remember Doctor Who coming on and my parents telling me to go to bed because it was like (laughs) seven o'clock at night and I was trying to I I was trying to like sneak out the living room door and like watch it and I (laughs) remember specifically it was Sylvester McCoy's time because I remember the title sequence I couldn't tell you which episode it was specifically but I do like remember like the Cal video title sequence as it was and um, then my mum shouted me to get to bed (laughs) yeah um, so that was, that was my earliest sort of memory of knowing Doctor Who existed. As for when I got into it, I think, and probably, I think it might be the same as me, I think it would probably have been during the wilderness years, as they were called, once Doctor Who was cancelled in 1989. Yep, that's right. So it was, yeah, it was around about that time. I do remember watching Dimensions and Tide on Children in Need. I thought we said last. I thought we said last time we would never speak of that again. <laughs> and, I know. I'm sorry, but I was trying to give some sort of time frame. Uh, some time frame. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was around about maybe ninety one. I think ninety one, ninety two, because I think I had an annual from one of those years, and I remember it having an Imperial Dalek on the cover. Right. Do you know which one I mean? Yeah, the white ones with the gold bumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have been the 91 uh, annual. So, yeah, I think that's kind of when I started. When did you start? Uh, for me, it was... I was a bit older than you were, relatively speaking. Mm. I was it was I was 11. It was 1994. I remember it quite well. Mm. I'd been... I said, I'd grown up in a Star Trek house. Um, <laughs> my dad My dad is, a, is a, a pretty hardcore nerd about a lot of stuff. Um, he was uh, a Trekkie and got me into watching Star Trek from... Uh, I, since I was knee high, mm-hmm. um, I can't remember not watching it. So yeah, again about five or six. Um, but Doctor Who wasn't really in my awareness. No one watched it in my family. It was um, it was coming up to the time that it was it was sort of on it was on a quite a sharp decline. Mm. So and it was put up against Coronation Street, I believe. So I think we yeah. we as a family were probably watching that. Um, so <laughs> um, you know, and obviously um, me being a child, I don't get much saying what's going on. Mm. Uh, so it was, it was a thing of I, when I got to that age and I just sort of got into secondary school. Um, I was sort of having, I had a bit of a raise in pocket money. I think it went from ten to twenty pound a month. Okay, so yeah. I was buying, yeah, get me. So um, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, tell me about it. So um, 
that that money went on a Star Trek video oh, a right. month, and <laughs> then I used to I used to buy the nerd magazines of which where in back in those days there were many. Hmm. So your Starburst, your TV Zones, um, <gasps> TV Zone, TV Zone Expose. Remember that one? Ooh, we like. I don't know if we got that up here actually, because I, I live in the northeast, so I don't think we actually got that up there. But TV Zone, I definitely remember because I always used to look like read all the listings of yeah. all the stuff that was on, like on Sci-Fi and what have you. Yeah, exactly the same here, and it was one of those things of uh, Doctor Who was, was so ingrained in the consciousness of this country mm-hmm. that even though by '94 it had been off the air for five years yeah. and was going to probably stay that way as far as anyone was concerned. Um, there was a lot of literature still coming out, a lot of videos. So mm. it was one of those things of I was watching everything, I was into everything, and I wanted to check it out. And I, I remember at the time we just got cable television, mm. and I started watching stuff on UK Gold. And I remember the first thing I remember watching was Genesis of the Daleks. Ooh. Yeah, so I, you, I lucked out <laughs> big time on that one. So what I would do was um, I would get up very early on a Sunday. I mean, yeah. when uh, sort of half past five it was um, <laughs> to watch uh, Blake Seven. Oh which yes, was on first, <laughs> and then um, there would be a whole serial, a whole Who serial. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was it, sort of Tom Baker mostly from my memory. But um, yeah, I've got a lot of memories sort of linked in. We getting up very early and watching that like. Um, one time I was watching Warriors of the Deep of all episodes and my dad decided it was it was time to rip the carpet up because we were getting a new carpet so my, I was watching Warriors of the Deep with my dad attacking the carpet with a standing knife while I was trying to watch it uh, you know so just really weird random things like that and yeah so that's how I got my start um but although I I was a fan, but I was a fan with like a small left, I think. Mm. I was still a pretty hardcore Star Trek fan. Mm. Um, I'll say all, the, all the, the money that I got and as pocket money and later when I got my first job, my first paying job, mm. most of my money went on Star Trek things rather yeah. than two things. I mean, I got, the, got a couple of videos, but um, to be honest, by the time I was getting into it, famously, the book series was sort of well underway by then, yeah, the, uh, new the BBC books, the new adventures. And to be honest, you had to start reading those from the beginning, otherwise you would be completely befuddled. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things I was sort of left alone. I got into the past Doctor Adventures sort of later, yeah. because as long as you sort of have seen the show, you can sort of pick any of those up and get into it to, to a point. Yeah. yeah, that's basically where it all began for me. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up the video tips <laughs> because that's kind of where... I really started to get into it. Obviously, it long since gone from the airwaves, and I can't remember like where exactly I started with the videotapes, but I definitely remember owning the, the super big box of um, the Suntaran experiment and Genesis of the Daleks. Yeah. I also had the Trial of the Time Lord in the sort of like the oh, TARDIS wow. tin. Oh yes. I had a f- I did I had a few, but I didn't have all that many to be honest. No. If you know what I mean. Um, well, I remember that the, the, in those days, in the mid nineties, VHSs were priced at between thirteen and sixteen pound, depending mm. on when you bought it, where you bought them from. Yeah. I mean, and for me and for you, I expect that that represented a fair chunk of our disposable <laughs> of, yeah. of any money that we had. I've got so, to buy them. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, well, yeah, there's that, or you know, because where, where I was getting pocket money, mm-hmm. it's like, well, once you spent it. 
That's you're it. done. Yes. That's it. So, you know, choose wisely. Mm. So, we're, you know, we won't get in... So I can't remember when we were getting Sky, but um, I think because the videotape releases of Star Trek The Space and I were ahead of the broadcast here, mm-hmm. I was buying the tapes instead of watching it. Yeah. So that's where my money went. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I say, I've been trying to think about it all day and there's been like bits and pieces sort of like I've dredged up from my memory because um, up here we've got uh, a shopping mall called the Metro Centre. Do you know about it? Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I'm sure I've heard tell of it. Yeah. And back in the day, when I when I used to be at junior school, so this would have been about when we around about the ages of nine, uh, eight, nine, there was, well, at first it was John Menzies. Right, yeah. The, the newspaper store, and then it became W.H. Smith. But at the time it was John Menzies. It used to be sort of like this long, this really sort of long store, rather than just like a big open space. And at the very back, they used to have, on the right-hand side... Like all sort of books and stuff, so you had all the sci-fi books. So you'd find stuff like like the New Adventures series amongst them, and then to the left they'd have all like the computer games and what have you. I mean the proper you know computer games, not like sort of the NES or anything like that. But right next to this staircase that led up to the upper floor, they had a Dalek. Ah, yeah, and I and I seem to remember. I think I might have had my photograph taken oh, nice. <laughs> alongside it. So I might have to try and dive up into the, uh, the attic sometime and have a scrounge around the box of um, probably half moth-eaten photographs and see if I can find it. <laughs> I mean, I think that, yeah, I, I, a lot of fans that I've spoken to sort of in the meantime, um, mm-hmm. sort of in the years since I've sort of gone into full-time fandom, if you like, yeah. all sort of how, relate these tales of like, this one shop that had a Dalek or this one shop that had that you buy the videos from. Yeah. I mean, especially in the hiatus years where um, we mentioned, I touched on it last time when we were uh, talking about Peter Capaldi's uh, casting mm-hmm. is how deeply unfashionable Doctor Who was in the oh, mid nineties. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it was, it was just a punchline. You were talking about a, a Dalek there. I don't remember a time as a, per, like any time I've been cognizant where I, didn't know what a Dalek was or I didn't know what a TARDIS was it's just ingrained in the culture over here I think like James Bond and the royal family it's just one of these things that is so part of the cultural language Mm -hmm. but in the 90s it was a punchline it was synonymous with cheapness wobbly sets um, bad acting so if you're watching a sketch about you know like a sci-fi show Mm -hmm. Doctor Who was the reference so that's where you know, a lot of that knowledge came from, I think. Yeah. But yeah, that that was basically its position in the 90s. It was a complete joke. And yeah, so if you were trying to get Doctor Who stuff, you had to basically creep off to all these kind of weird, <laughs> weird little shops in back alleys and, you know, find these sort of dusty videotapes, uh, which people would be charging outrageous amounts of money for because they've been deleted. And mm-hmm. so I was in one shop um in Orpington, if anyone knows South London at all. And there was a bloke who sold Doc Two videos. Yeah. And he <laughs> I remember this very clearly, was selling the, the double VHS box of the Inferno for fifty quid. Jesus. And that was in two thousand and four, I think. What? Yeah, tell me about it. Well, because this has been deleted, long since mm. deleted. There were rumours of the show coming back, but nothing was certain. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think I think the DVD, I don't think the DVD range had really launched by then, had it? I think it 
It was just about going, it was wasn't it? Just in starting, I think, because it was maybe around about about that time where I actually see. I personally have tend to have these like, phases, if you know what I mean, in my fandom. So, like right now, I'm sort of on like a bit of a Doctor Who downswing. Actually, um, yeah, I'm sort of more sort of I'm blasting my way through my Mythbusters box sets right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, obviously, yeah, it, it'll. The, the upswing will come and I'll be, I'll be back into it. I'll probably once, uh, you know, get like the 50th anniversary or, you know, Matt Smith's Swan Song or Peter Capaldi's first series. And I think I'd sort of like got onto like a downswing after sort of like the Paul McGann movie had broadcast. Yes. And I didn't really get back into it until I think maybe just before the first season started when there was actually start, it was actually starting to build up the buzz again. Like, Doctor yes. Who is coming back. Yes. And there wasn't going to be, like, oh, it's... Like, the Sun newspaper was, like, joking. Oh, it's, like, it's going to be, um, like, Paul Daniels is going to be the Doctor. It was, like, no. <laughs> oh, it, was, yeah. it was actually proper, like, this Christopher Eccleston, he is, is the ninth Doctor. You know, and, a proper actor is the ninth Doctor. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was around about the time I started to pick up the DVDs, and that's when I... I think that's when I got most into it if you know what i mean because i still had like i still like bought some of the toys like the, the old dapple figures which we'll probably get into yeah. some other time <laughs> for, for <laughs> obvious reasons and i mean i did go to like there was like i went to blackpool once and there was like this store and it was almost all wall-to-wall doctor who and it was mm. awesome and um i think didn't they have an exhibition on at um the british film institute they did. So they had an exhibition up in Blackpool for many years as well, mm. didn't they? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which I think that shop was kind of not part of, but something to do with, I think. Because only, only in the last few years that's sort of shut down in favour of the the great big one they have in Cardiff now. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm almost, in terms of you saying about your fandom sort of dropping in and out, it, I was exactly the same. Because about that time, like I say, I was a balls-to-the-wall Star Trek fan. Yeah. Like cut my arm off it says star trek inside like a piece of rock um (laughs) about that time i was getting into the x-files as well Mm. because i mean the x-files started in 93 92 yeah yeah so yeah so i started watching it again about that time so again i was i was just so into sort of all sci-fi that was on mm. i mean in those days as well there was a heck of a lot of stuff actually on on screen not yeah. so much like now where it really seems to have dropped off um i don't know why that is it's just one of those periodic things that happens i think I guess, but yeah. i mean i was i was kind of watching everything and like i say my all my disposable income was going towards star trek stuff i was going to star trek conventions mm-hmm. so yeah it was it was kind of all about that and cuz doctor who had almost entirely fallen off the cultural radar apart from like you say dimensions in time and then the tv movie broadcast which mm-hmm. i think killed my fandom pretty well for a while yeah. because i mean this may be something that we go into in more detail in another show but I do not like that TV movie to this day, and I remember on broadcast watching it and being appalled by it. I remember. I mean, yeah, I remember watching yeah. it on the transmission day, and I didn't mm. mind it. It wasn't great. Yeah, but I was just happy to have some Doctor Who back on the screen. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, it uh, again. We'll probably actually we should do a show about it sometime. I think. Yes, but I think we should. The one of the 
memories that will be burned forever into my mind is that console room because oh, yes. it do you know what, even you know i love the the current console room that was introduced in the snowmen and ran through um, the second half of series seven i love that look but there was just something about the the tv movie tardis console room because of its sheer size i mean it was well the hell bigger than like any of the ones they've done since yeah you know because it has like freaking bookshelves and all over the place and and all that so that was like one of the most permeating memories of it just being so impressed by the look of it oh yeah definitely but um i just think that i was impressed by that i remember Mm. looking at it and going yeah okay that's fine but then as sort of the as the story progressed i mean by the time eric roberts bloody (laughs) flounces in like bloody Water chops from Gone with the Wind, going out always dreads for the occasion. I was ready to kill myself, um, just out of sort of sheer embarrassment. <laughs> you can give me all the lovely TARDIS console room you like, but you can't take that away. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just, I think to be honest, you know, it unfortunately with the TV movie. Um, it's one of those remakes that, like, we're going to please the fans by showing them all the things that they love. So in, like, the three, first 30 seconds, you get, like, the sweep of the jelly babies and the recorder and, the, mm-hmm. you know, all the other stuff. And although it's it's strange to think that, as my other half said to me yesterday, just apropos of nothing, that a lot of the stuff that's set up in the TV movie actually has quite a bit of bearing on what we see today, mm. which is something I think we're going to have to go into because that's a show on its own. Yeah. yeah, I'll just think, to be honest, in the first five minutes, it's kind of a a dead duck. For me, it's a bit of a dead duck from the get-go, and it mm. just sort of only gets worse. And I can't forgive them for what they did to the Seventh Doctor. Yeah. Yeah, that was... I mean, it's not like falling off an exercise bike and banging your head on the TARDIS console. It's not that. You're quite right. No. Yeah, it was just kind of a sort of... I I mean, I suppose somehow that kind of does fit within Doctor Who canon because a lot of people do get offed in sort of like rather unfair ways, if you know what I mean. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I agree. But it's just, it seems so... It just seems a bit of a disservice to Sylvester McCoy, mm. and um, no, it was just a bit like, well, Doctor Who doesn't. A lot of the, the criticism of Who in its declining years was it was too violent, and <clears throat> the Doctor got into shooting people too much, and the the fact that he doesn't look outside and gets mowed down in the middle of a gang war just seems <laughs> it just seems to be out of a different show, and the fact that the the thing is filmed in Vancouver, so the whole time you're going, oh, yeah, I remember that episode of The X-Files. I remember that episode of The X-Files. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the bit where Scully goes in that bit down there. And it's just like, you can't not <laughs> do it. Um, well, yeah. To paraphrase um, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shaggy, it's, <laughs> it's uncanny how in no way San Francisco looks like Vancouver. Yeah, how's that? <laughs> exactly. Anyway, we should move away from the TV movie. Otherwise, we're just going to end up talking about the TV movie. Yeah, so we'll see if that's um, its own show. Yeah. Indeed, I think that's definitely unshow worthy. <laughs> so yeah, I think so yeah, I think we should probably both of us cut to the return of the series because I think that's what sort of regalvanized our fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that always, um, for me, been like a, a big part of like my cultural heritage, if you like. It was yeah. one of those things that you know I enjoyed, and I was watching repeat to wherever I could find them and as as Doctor Who was more and more you know the the hype train was starting to build for the return mm-hmm. um there was a lot of stuff was becoming more and more affordable so yeah. there were books coming out and there were 
videos kind of appearing and all this sort of stuff so i was kind of going around and picking up everything i could and the dvd back catalogue was starting to be released sort of at a rate of knots and i remember the the christmas before um the series came back i got a bunch of doctor who stuff yeah so a lot of the dvds and remember just sort of watching them over and over and over again and yeah, just it kind of regalvanized me. So yeah, and it sort of led me to searching out a local fan group to me because in in the UK, I don't know if this is the same uh, in in other countries. It might be in America that um, the the whole idea of local fan groups really sort of started to take off. Um, sort of coordinated through the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. The whole idea of local groups was uh, quite a big thing. Yeah. That um, in most regions of the UK, there was a fan group somewhere. Mm-hmm. that was all about Doctor Who and as it also sort of uh, dovetailed nicely with my other interest in going to the pub, <laughs> joining the Doctor Who fan group was kind of a no-brainer. I mean, because as well at that time, I was just just out of university. I sort of started a new job. I was sort of falling out of touch with a lot of people I went to school with. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, time to get out there and meet some new people. So I got in touch with a, with a fan group. And um, yeah, sort of the rest is history from there, to be honest. Um, mm. Everyone who knows me knows that um, my I met my partner through a fan group. <laughs> um, I joined I joined his group uh, mm. um, essentially, and yeah, that was. I remember the I think about the our first date was going to a pub, unsurprisingly, wow. and watching <laughs> and watching New Earth in yeah. a big group of Doctor Who fans. Yeah, mm. we've been yeah we've gone about three weeks by that point. Yeah. Yeah. My re-interest in the fandoms first sort of kicked off again when uh, UK TV Gold had their Doctor Who at 40 weekend. Yes. And I remember sort of asking my godmother who actually had, had Sky, because I, I don't actually own Sky. I can't sort of justify the price for more channels that I'm probably not going to watch. True. <laughs> and I was, I've been actually trying to remember which ones they had, what, what episode the show, because it was left to a sort of fan vote, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, oh, goodness, um, I can't remember what it was. Because I know the Sylvester McCoy one they showed was Dragonfire. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it was two Doctors for Colin Baker? Possibly, yeah. Because when you get these fan votes, they always, fans always vote for weird ones. It's never the favourites. Yeah. It's always the ones that they haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Like, the Curi- like the Curio ones. So it wouldn't be ones you would think of. So yeah, I think you're right with it being the two Doctors. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of where it sort of started. And then like the DVDs started to come out. And I remember picking a few up from HMV in the Metro Centre for like pretty cheap. But they had uh, mm-hmm. Remembrance of the Darks was definitely one of the first ones I got because it had the rather poor cover of uh, the Imperial Dog, just sort of looking a bit smoky and battered. It's just sort of sitting there. Yeah. And then, obviously, once the the new series kicked back in, that was sort of that was sort of it. But I knew for for quite a few years, I never actually got to catch a series premiere like live as as twere. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had to like record it because either I was at work or I had some family <laughs> friends come up, and I couldn't watch the thing. That's definitely <laughs> what happened with New Earth. So I think ultimately it wasn't until Mebby's partners in crime that actually got to see like an actual TX as they call it in the um, in the business, the actual trans- the actual transmission live, as it were. So I say, partners in crime is pretty special actually, because again, um, we were watching it in a pub full of other fans. <laughs> 
And of course, no one knew about the reveal of Rose coming back. Mm. All the all the press previews had finished like the scene before. Yeah. So no one knew about it, and um, I remember just all the oxygen being sucked out of the room as everyone went <laughs> like that. Um, it was. It might be one of my favourite fan experiences of anything that I've mm. ever done. It was just, just like, and then the credits hitting, everyone going shit all at once. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you, did you ever get into like the books, like the New Adventures, or? Um, you know, the New Adventures is one of those things that um, I still haven't really got into, much to my shame. Um, mm. I have. Uh, we again it was that whole thing of money and availability yeah. by the time i was getting into having disposable income enough to be buying a lot of books mm-hmm. the new adventures are mostly out of print yeah so it, it you could i couldn't physically get one if i tried from a lot yeah. of a lot of places at that point ebay wasn't really a thing to no. be honest well, uh, I, I, was I, the internet to be perfectly honest i think we had dial up at the time still mm. um so <laughs> you could if you know you sort of load up the page and go make a cup of tea and then hopefully by the time you come back it's finished and then someone picks and then someone picks the phone up and shouts at you because you get on <laughs> the other end of the line and then my dad opens the phone bill and shouts at uh, shouts at me um so yeah um it was a case of you know tough luck you ain't gonna get them hmm. i was i started reading I, I bought quite a lot of the past doctor books mm-hmm. Which, you know, mostly, like I say, you could kind of just pick up and as long as you sort of vaguely, roughly know the characters and you can sort of get on with them. I did start reading the Eighth Doctor books, mm-hmm. but they were in an order. They yeah. had, they were, a, like, had a, can- a canonical thing. So, um, again, you can sort of pick, you can, you can to a point pick them up, but you, you may miss a sort of a a couple of things here and there yeah. and again it was oh, all my stories relate to pubs i remember you know um buying theme. yeah it's just a thing you know uh, this is when when a, my friend worked in a bar mm-hmm. and she was like working the midday shift and she said i'll come down and keep me company so i remember sitting <laughs> at the bar with a, a an amaretto sour reading uh, the year of intelligent tigers uh-huh. you know so just you know and standing at bus stops reading Doctor Who books, you know, where before I would probably be reading Star Trek books. Yeah. Again, this is sort of um, this is the thing when the Star Trek novel line sort of changed quite a lot. It got into a lot of this thing of like Deep Space Nine series eight and all this sort of thing. And yeah. to be honest, once you miss one, you're kind of out the loop. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so I was reading a lot of those, wow. and this is the time that Big Finish really started to come into the ascendancy. So a lot of mm. their their audio plays. I was listening to a heck of a lot of those. I mean, I was buying those yeah. every month. I'm trying to remember. I know it wasn't released first, but wasn't Storm Warning the first Eighth Doctor story? Didn't they? Wasn't that the first one they ever did or something? I'm, I'm trying to remember. Uh, it was. They did. They did a multi Doctor one first. The first release was one called Sirens of Time, yeah. which was Fifth, Sixth, and Seventh Doctor. Mm-hmm. And then I think there were a bunch of past Doctor adventures yeah. because I think there was the, I know there's sort of weird licensing stuff with Big Finish. I think there still is, mm-hmm. but I think there was a point of like they didn't know who they were going to be able to get oh, right. to do these things. And I think Paul McGann was a bit reluctant. I mean, obviously, understandably because of um, the the fallout from the TV movie. Mm-hmm. But you know, again, like you say with Storm Warning, they got them along, and it's the same sort of thing of the. I've always preferred the past Doctor big finishes to yeah. the eighth ones because 
to me, they got a bit too continuity heavy as they went along. But mm. <clears throat> some of the early stuff, like Storm Warning, is very good. Um, yeah, the, the thing with Storm Warning, I always found when I, I listened to it, if it was like one of the earlier ones, you can kind of tell because there's a lot of sort of describing what's yeah. going on. <laughs> you know, sort of like when you have the opening sequence with uh, the TARDIS coming across the uh, spaceship that's caught in the time loop. Mm-hmm. And he has to, mm-hmm. and he uh, wants to like free it so it doesn't, so they're like broken out of the loop. It, when you listen to that, it's very sort of description heavy. I mean, obviously, yes, the Doctor's on his own and he's traveling on his own at this point, so it's kind of understandable he might talk to himself a bit. But when you listen to it, it just seems kind of awkward somehow. It's like. Yeah, it, it seems a bit primitive. It's like those. It's like when you watch the pilot of your favorite show. It's it always seems weird in comparison to everything else that sort of comes after it. I mean, yeah. I think the trope name is early instalment weirdness. If you go on TV tropes, um, they're always a bit strange and sort of before they settle into their groove. So yeah, mm. but I'd say the big finish was a, it was sort of it was a, definitely a big draw for me. And to sort mm. of hear, you get the it has the nice advantage of. Obviously, they all these guys sound like they used to still. Yeah. Um, it takes away that whole thing of they don't look like they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Big Finish has done a lot to kind of rehabilitate the reputation of, of especially like Colin Baker's Doctor. Yes. Um, I think a lot of people think of him much more kindly now they've heard his Big Finish work. I certainly mm-hmm. do. Um, I also, I mean, as well, because it's audio, they feel a lot more inclined to experiment, I think, and do something that's unusual, like um, Colin Baker's Doctor for a while travelled with a companion called Evelyn Smythe, who was was like an older lady. She was in her 50s. And um, a history... I think she's a history professor, if I recall, or English, one of those. Uh, And, um, yeah, so to hear a dynamic, like the like the chemistry between these two mm-hmm. as like an older woman, an older educated woman with the doctor, like their relationship's a lot different. Yeah. And it's actually one of my favorite companion doctor relationships between those two. Mm. So, I mean, and it's uh, the, one of the fifth doctor companions, um, a woman called Eremem, who's actually yeah. an Egyptian Pharaoh. <laughs> um, so, you know, you have, they have a lot more freedom to, to sort of go to locations that would bust a TV budget and to, mm. <clears throat> do storylines that are a bit more challenging, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it. they're perfect. They're not. Um, there are a few duds out there, but um, I will say to anyone who's sort of curious about those things, um, I think that they, Big Finish, have announced that as permanently now, their first 50 releases are down to five quid forever now. Ooh. So they're mm. worth picking up. <laughs> I think that's pretty much as as far as we can go in terms of how we got into here because there's uh, when you think about it there's not much to tell when uh, when we got on board there wasn't a whole heck of a lot going on really was there no there wasn't i mean um the only thing that i would bring up is something that i kind of encountered as i was going around when you're sort mm-hmm. of talking to other fans there seems to be a, a bit of prejudice towards people who became fans in the hiatus and i know other people yeah. who've who've sort of encountered the same thing because there seems to be this whole thing of like well, you weren't there, yeah. sort of, where, where were you when we were shit, sort of thing, you know. Um, you sort of, unfortunately, you tend to get lumped in with people who, it's, it's some fans who regard people who became fans only in 05, mm-hmm. you know, as sort of the Johnny-come-latelys who are kind of only into it because it's full of, you know, pretty people. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so I've encountered a bit of prejudice in that. Nice. But to be honest, once once they realise that, you know, you're onions, you, they tend to kind of... Um, 
step off a little bit. Mm. Um, so the other thing as well is uh, how when I was stepping into fandom myself is realizing how male dominated is in this, in this country, especially mm. um, as a fan, as a, as a unit. I mean, obviously being a Star Trek fan, it's, it's roughly 50, 50. And I believe in the States, it's actually more women than men are into it. Um, but in this country still to this day, I go to conventions and I'm easily one of maybe half a dozen women there, <laughs> you know? So, and out of uh, the uh, men there, how many of them are neckbeards? Um, quite a f- there's a few neckbeards. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are, I think you sort of see more and more young, I'll say younger people, people who are sort of in their 20s now mm. and are getting into it. And um, people who, you know, have watched the series and have gone back and are now into like all of it, not just the new series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are, there are quite a few neckbeards still. Um <laughs> So yeah, it's um, and yeah, it, it seems to be a strange thing in this country that um, it is very male-driven. I'm not quite sure why that is. Uh, it seems to just be one of those boys' things that you're sort of encouraged to like. Hmm. Um, it's kind of it's that whole thing of like girls aren't meant to like science fiction or yeah. which is what I think I think is changing, but um, it's uh, it's still going to be neckbeard dominated for a few years to come. I think yeah. until. Sort of, it's going to take another few years, but uh, I mean, we're in third generation fandom now. I think easily, even people maybe in some cases we're in fourth generation. Yeah. Um, you know, so this this love is kind of getting handed down from parent to child. They're getting indoctrinated at a young age. Mm. Um, so I think that that may change, but um, I think still it's kind of very male dominated. I can't not I can't disagree with that. Mm. Um, but, I'm not saying it is a bad thing. I'm no. just saying it's a, just an observation that I've mm. sort of made, and um, yeah, comparing other fandoms, um, yeah. it seems to be kind of alone in that. Mm. It's one of those weird things. I think people will be writing essays about for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's probably a good place to to leave it. Actually, I think you. I tend to agree. Okay. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And we'll see you next time. Greatest Show in the Galaxy is produced by Emma Foster and Michael Mole for the Simply Syndicated 21st Century Media Network. Be sure to check out our Simply Syndicated sister podcasts, including Movies You Should See, Take It or Leave It, For Those About to Rock, Remote Patrol, Atomic Tree War 9000, Starbase 66 and Nerd Hurdles. If you like what you hear, you can contact us at greatestshow at simplysyndicated.com or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast or on Twitter at greatestshowpod.com. 